This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oh, yes. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Hayden, you know, we love what we do, but there's some, I'm going to use this word, monotony to, at times, what weeks can be like, especially when week seven was thrown at us, like, dear Lord, never again. But what we have now are two of 32 teams that might go through drastic changes and change the complexion and the conclusion of their seasons, really at the halfway point of this calendar. It makes you think, it makes us, you know, hypothesize, and I'm, I'm excited to do that with you today. How you doing? I'm doing good. This has got to be one of your favorite shows. You love talking about the narratives and identities. Those are some of the Josh Norris keywords, and we're getting all of it crunched into one episode. Can't wait. Yes, this is where we go through, watch the games. Hayden scrapes the data. We do a nice little handshake, maybe a secret handshake one day. Hayden, if we ever work in the same room ever again. And uh, I hope not. <laughs> you know, we figure out the breakouts, the players who are on the rise, so you can get ahead of them. As we move along, I do want to remind you that Hayden, once again, we got a loaded bye week. The Lions, the Seahawks, the Bucks, Washington football team. Love it. Love to see it. And tomorrow, special show, Wednesday, Eric Bynfor, Ryan Hodge will join Hayden and I for another best ball report card. We check in exactly halfway through the best ball season with a lot more data. This time, we'll definitely go through the top five teams. And with Derek Henry on many of those top five teams, maybe look at some that have the best chances of moving forward. But today, again, this is your favorite show of the week, our favorite show of the week, and let's get into it. We talk about running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends, and most importantly, go through Hayden's fantasy usage model, which you can find on underdogfantasy.com. And Hayden, let's start off with one of those two teams going through a huge identity shift, the New Orleans Saints. Alvin Kamara coming off a game of 19 carries, 61 yards, and one touchdown to go along with three catches. A a player who has seen the volume that we absolutely love, despite it being a little shift in maybe the Sean Payton offense that we've seen historically. Where does Alvin Kamara stack up right now? And then let's carry the conversation into how it might change moving forward. So I think it's two parts. It's how does Mark Ingram affect Alvin Kamara? And then we can get into the quarterback conversation. To start last week, it was definitely a run-first approach. That's how it's been the entire season. But Alvin Kamara had all three of the inside five opportunities. That's the golden touches we need. 
And he had 22.7 expected half PPR points despite facing the Buccaneers. And that is, of course, his above average. So Mark Ingram being involved is not such a bad thing, actually, in my opinion. I think that's going to keep him probably have a better odds of staying healthy. I don't think that he's going to take many of the high value touches. I think that Mark Ingram is in there to run the duo, some of the power rushing that the Saints didn't have with Alvin Kamara, because that's just not what he's best at. I think that you're going to get a dynamic one-two rushing attack. And because they have no good wide receivers, I think that's okay. This isn't a competition between the two. I think that he's just a compliment, but a compliment in the way where we don't really care because when Mark Ingram's in, that's not where you're getting a bunch of the fantasy points. We want Kamara in the goal line in the passing game, and he had that last week. Now, the difference with Jameis Winston, and I'm going to pull up some of his passing charts to what Taysom Hill might bring to the table now, because while Taysom Hill has been dealing with concussion-like symptoms, all signs point to him becoming the starter on this team now when he's back healthy. We've seen, again, a shift in the Sean Payton style, and you and I have advocated for him to be mentioned among the top coaches this season based on what he's doing with the offensive personnel, namely wide receivers out on the field. Again, we've talked about Alvin Kamara and his usage. You just did. But Taysom Hill last year in in four starts, 10 carries, 10 carries, 14 carries, and five rushing attempts. Meanwhile, Hayden, they actually threw the ball more often with him than they did with Jameis Winston this season. He averaged 28 and a half attempts. Compare that to Jameis, which is at 25 attempts. We see a lot of check down, short passes, easy layups, and then really... Sean Payton tries to open things up every once in a while to Marquez Callaway or someone else down the field for Jameis Winston to, you know, use his high variance nature to hit a a downfield play. Do we expect that same blueprint to be tried or even work with Taysom Hill right now? So this chart shows how often uh, each quarterback throws the ball downfield. And I was kind of surprised. I thought that the the differences here was going to be way more drastic than what it was. But this year with Jameis Winston, yes, there's been some 30-yard throws, some 50-yard throws. But for the most part, this has been a dink and dunk offense. And I don't expect that to change with Taysom Hill. I would say the big difference is like when Jameis has to hit that far 25-yard out route, he can hit it. Taysom Hill can't. But that that happens only so often. So I don't think that you're going to see that big of a uh, passing change, except for I just think that the efficiency with Jameis Winston is going to be a tad better. Um, but I think that a lot of people are probably concerned about the on-off splits going back to last year with Alvin Kamara in those Taysom Hill starts. But because he had, I think, uh, zero targets, one target, three targets, and then 10 targets. I, I do think that those shares aren't like true to like predictive value for like moving forward because the first game they won 24 to nine. The right. second game was against Kendall Hinton when they won 31 to three. And then the, the last two games when it was 21 to 16 and then a loss 21 to 24, then he had three and 10 targets. So I think that Taysom Hill, especially after getting a full offseason, I'm sure that they were tired of hearing this narrative, are going to be able to get the ball to Alvin Kamara as a pass catcher here. I would basically throw away those on off splits uh, with Kamara as a pass catcher, especially because those four games, guy named Michael Thomas was active, a guy named yes. Emmanuel Sanders exactly. was active. Now they have to. They have no choice. Taysom Hill is at least good enough to throw the ball four feet to Alvin Kamara. Yeah. When I went back and watched all of Taysom Hill's passes today, maybe that's why Thank this you for your service. day feels so shortened to me and I feel a bit chaotic heading into it because I had to sit through that. What stood out to me was Michael Thomas making contested catches, 
Emmanuel Sanders making catches down the field. Again, what Sean Payton would love to do probably is throw the football down the field more so than he's doing. But what he's you know, trying to put in a package to win games is the personnel that they have on the roster at the moment. And sure, Marcus Callaway makes, you know, Hail Mary catches. He, he makes some great balls along the sideline. But they don't have either of those two players. And, yeah. I mean, it, it's not that long ago, Hayden, just like nine or ten weeks ago, where we theorized that, okay, with Michael Thomas down, maybe Sean Payton, because he's such a great coach, would say, okay, I'm going to bet on myself to try to win these games by manufacturing space and production and yardage with the Alvin Kamara, Taysom Hill dynamic. And to your point, yeah, I don't know how much we can look back to the stats last year where he never had a game above 15 carries and again, saw 10 targets in that final start compared to six in the previous three games. Because no matter what, pre, post, Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston, Alvin Kamara is the offense still. And the defense is, you know, top two, top three in the NFL. So I would not be overly concerned about the usage changing for Alvin Kamara. I do wonder just possibly about the success or the efficiency of it. But still, you have those four great offensive linemen out there, which is the core of this team along with Alvin. Yeah, I I think that it's probably a downgrade getting Mark Ingram and Taysom Hill in there, but like just a little bit. And like Alvin Kamara was like averaging like 20 points this year. The last note I have on this is, you can use promo code Alvin to get deposit match up to $100 on Underdog Fantasy. That's the one thing that you guys have to be taking advantage of. Promo code Alvin, let's go. As Hayden alluded to, I, we love Pick'em. Someone here might have hit 228 tickets this past weekend. Word on the street. But because of Alvin Kamara, again, carrying this New Orleans Saints team, potentially top five team in the NFL, deposit anything, skip the guacamole as always. But if you put in $59, you get $59 in your pocket. $99 straight out of Hayden Winks's wallet into your account. So, yes, go use promo code this show, like you can see down here, and we'll double your deposit. Is there anything else you want to say about the Saints? I mean, we'll talk about more on this in, in the preview show. Yeah, the Philip Rivers stuff is interesting because obviously Philip Rivers' high school season is over, coaching that. Um, I remember Nick, again, great beat writer for, for the Saints coming on the show and saying, well, so often we talk about, you know, Jameis Winston potentially not taking a next step. And I think as we saw the season go along, we saw very much just in smaller doses, the same Jameis Winston with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The thing with Taysom Hill is he, one, believes in his arm, but two, is, is an incredibly slow processor at times and multiple hitches to get the ball down the field. But I don't think Sean's going to coach scared. And I think he's going to try to let his guys make plays. So we'll talk about more, I guess, on the Thursday preview show. But yeah, just something to keep in mind. Okay. Again, the other team going through drastic changes this week, the Tennessee Titans. We know Derrick Henry is out at least through the regular season. So now, Hayden, there are three names to think about. Jeremy McNichols, who has been the passing down back in some situations, long distance back in a lot of circumstances, bringing Adrian Peterson and Deontay Foreman, who I believe was on this roster last year, for the practice squad, and then both will be elevated. There's a lot of quotes coming out of Tennessee from that coaching staff about what the usage could be like. Hey, we know, again, Derek Henry is on path to be a league winner. So how are you viewing this backfield right now? I think it's going to be a two-back committee, and I think it's going to be very obvious. It's going to be Adrian Peterson as the goal line back, as the bruiser. Uh, if they need to give somebody 15-plus carries in a week, it'll be him. 
And then when they're trailing, it's going to be Jeremy McNichols. And I think that this upcoming week, it's going to be more Jeremy McNichols. They're seven and a half point road dogs to the Rams. And I'm sure they don't want to be trying to run up the middle uh, with Adrian Peterson, who barely is going to know the playbook. So I think for, for waiver wire purposes, I would say that Adrian Peterson probably projects for more points over the course of the season. I don't think that either one of them is going to be a massive win. Um, so hopefully you already blew your budget on like an Eli Mitchell or Chuba Hubbard got you through some good Khalil weeks Herbert. or Khalil Herbert, somebody like that already. Um, I would rather have somebody like Sony Michelle. Like we'll talk to him about him in a second. I think that Sony Michelle is somebody that needs to be on every single 12 person uh, roster right now, just because he's one angle roll away from being a top five back. And I don't think that Adrian Peterson or Jeremy McNichols have either of the upside. So I, if you're desperate and you need an RB two, go for it. I think this week I'd rank, mcnichols over ap for the rest of the year probably have ap over mcnichols though part of the show is to go out and allege so let's talk about these individual talents even though we don't necessarily know the complete package of them first with jerry mcnichols as as you're talking about it's so different how he was used in comparison to derrick henry so far 82 percent of derrick henry's such as the season has started from under center just 15 percent of jerry mcnichols have him. so many in shotgun so, and then so far 74 percent of jerry mcnichols touches this year and record on downs of 10 plus yards. So like when I went back and watched all of his touches today, Hayden, it was third and 16. Yep. Third and 12, second and 13, you know, getting out into space in the first and, and second level and making people miss there. That's where he was at his best. Um, I also don't think that they're going to try to use like three backs to make up the singular talent that Derrick Henry is because at some point, they're going to be tells. At some point, you know, one of those players is going to make a mistake. I don't think it's as simple as turning three into one. And so what I think overall the the deciding factor here is, and where I'm going with my thought process, is that the Titans' offense is just going to change more. Like, they're probably going to run a lot more empty. We're going to run a lot more shotgun. Um, they actually weren't among the highest among play action rate, even though the, when play action, Ryan Tano is an absolute killer. So I would just expect – more passing opportunities. So like where they're, you know, bottom 10 and pass rate over expected, maybe they go into middle or top 10 as the season goes along. Just put a lot more responsibility in Ryan Tannehill's shoulders. Yep. And more offensive pace too. When you use more passing volume in general, you usually run more plays. So I, I view AJ Brown as probably a top five receiver moving forward. He's been nowhere near that this year, but now that he's up to like 91% of snaps last week, the Chipotle's run through run its course. And then he's going to be a top five guy, I think, uh, the rest of the way. Yeah. Running backs coach Tony Dew's distribution of carries between the backs will obviously be different. I mean, these are just coach quotes that tell us absolutely nothing. So that sucks. But I think that's uh, how we have to handle it. Okay. So we go through those two backfields with a ton of uncertainty. And now, Hayden, let's jump to a player who is emerging after his rookie season bye. If only there was a phrase for that, like the post by rookie bump or something Let's that go. maybe loyal viewers and listeners might know about. Michael freaking Carter. Hayden Winks. 15 carries, 77 yards, and a touchdown to go along with, yes, 14 targets, nine receptions, and 95 yards this weekend. To me, he looked identical to his North Carolina days. Superb vision, chunk gains and a willingness to finish on contact. What about you? What have you seen and see with Michael Carter right now and moving forward? 
So before the buy, he was averaging 8.8 expected half PPR points. And just as a reference, that's a how many, if I take targets, carries, how close they are to the goal line, convert it into a point. This is how many points you would expect a player to have on that usage. Then since the post buy, he's averaging 21.2. He's all the way up to like wide receiver six or wide receiver seven or running back six, running back seven in fantasy usage over the last four weeks. And there's two major or probably three reasons why this is happening. One, Tevin Coleman has been out. He's still not practicing. We have the coaching uh, probably giving more responsibilities to Michael Carter. He is the first and second down back. We still have Ty Johnson operating on third downs, but he's all the way up to RB8 and opportunities on first and second downs the last four weeks. But the number one reason why he's fantasy viable is the freaking white guy. The quarterback is just throwing the ball underneath. And if you're looking at this chart, it's like not even close. The differences in the ADOT, it's basically like a three-yard difference. And Mike White is not going to be the guy to try to stretch the field vertically. And he's going to be targeting his running backs constantly. I think like the last two weeks, like up by like 40% of his pass attempts have gone to running backs. And we know that in the negative game scripts, this is going to keep happening and happening. So I think those two things, even though he's not playing third downs, makes him for the short term an RB1-2, especially in full PPR. I don't think it's going to be forever lasting, but for now, like I, it's time to buy in for a little bit. What you just said is a point I want to reiterate. People look at his size, 5'8", 201. They look at what he did at UNC and say, oh, it's a passing down back. Like, how can this continue? He had 14 targets this past weekend. He only had six total touches on third down this year. He is, like, the early down back on this, yep. which is not shocking or surprising, especially if you've watched it, but maybe not how other teams would trust him but it's obvious why, and it's because he's the best runner on the team. We had Nate Tice on, I think, during the preseason. You know, if you use your eyes, he saw that, hey, he's the best runner. We've seen it from really smart people on Twitter as well. Repeat this. And it was only a matter of time, and dare I say during the bye week, where the Jets realized this as well. But then, Hayden, what you also said, and maybe what gives me a little concern and pause and frustration that Zach Wilson might come back into our lives is that Michael Carter over the last two weeks, 23 targets. Before that, in five games of Zach Wilson, just 14 targets. He can shine in both areas of the field. I mean, look at this stop-start ability he has against a Bengals defense that was top 10 in DVOA at the time. This is underrated, unreal stuff, and I just want to see it more often, but I'm a little nervous that when Zach Wilson does come back, we will not see it as often. Yeah, I'm certainly concerned that the split when he comes back and if Tevin Coleman comes back to health, then it's going to get muddied up really quick. But for the short term, I think that this is somewhat here to stay. Well, we don't know about Corey Davis's health. It doesn't seem like he's practicing. He missed last week. That obviously adds a little bit of target share, too. But I think going back to just even the way he was used at North Carolina, he was a passing down back. But him and Javante Williams, it wasn't like first and second down versus third down. Like those guys were mixing in back and forth. And I think you and I agreed with this during the pre-draft process. Michael Carter's vision and his burst is good. And that is kind of like between the tackles, more like Austin Eckler rather than like uh, Darren Sproles or something like that. I think that this guy can run between the tackles. I do think that the size concerns, Tevin Coleman, Zach Wilson, all coming back in to bite him later in the season is not going to make this last. But for like this next week, I think those checkdowns are going to be there. And I think that he is somebody you like certainly want in your lineup, at least for week nine. 
Yeah, the Jets have done a really good job getting him in space with blockers, like pullers between the tackles too, zone runs. Again, at 5'8", 201, he's not small. He's just short. And uh, no, he's, he's going to be small. a really good back. No, he's just short. He's thick. Are you 200 pounds, Hayden? You're not 200 pounds. I'm like 220 pounds. No, I'm not even joking. I, I'm trying to get down to 200 pounds, though. We won't tell you what Nick Rudman said that his football weight might get to here, but he might get called for some pass rushing help if, uh, if let's say, the Denver Broncos are struggling after the Von Miller trade. Okay. We go from Michael Carter over to Aaron Jones. Oh, I love week nine. 15 carries, 59 yards, and it's score to go along with 11 targets, seven receptions, 51 yards on that Thursday night football game against the Arizona Cardinals. I don't want to say it was warped necessarily, Hayden, without Devontae Adams, and I think the offense did change a little bit. But while we have seen A.J. Dillon you know, carve out a pretty good role here for the Packers, it shows me that Aaron Jones, we say this every single week, a superb back who wins on contact and just eats up ground in space. What do you want to say about him today? I was just going to say that he has massive splits with Devontae Adams. And mm-hmm. last week, last week was the the another um, more evidence to it. Just because last last year it was drastic too. He's had like he's averaging like twenty four points without Devontae Adams and like fourteen with Devontae Adams. And I think it's just because Devontae Adams, the way that you they use him as a wide receiver, is a lot of similar ways that they use. The running backs, quick screens, RPOs, all that stuff is basically an extension to the run game. So I think that when Devontae Adams comes back, Aaron Jones is going to take a back seat. But the good news is the Packers offensive line should be getting healthier here. The Packers keep winning all these games and they have had a basically new offensive line every single week. So once they get David Bakhtiari back and we obviously know how well Aaron Rodgers is playing, Aaron Jones is going to be like that mid-range RB1. I just wanted to point out that those on off splits with Devontae Adams are 100% real. And if Adams ever misses time again, we all, we know what to do with the pick'em lobby and DFS and all that stuff. <laughs> okay. I think that's good. Let's jump to Damien Harris, personal favorite Damien Harris and Hayden. We're here. The Patriots have figured out their offensive line woes. The last three games, you know, well, let's say the last four games for Damien Harris, five touchdowns, at least 80 yards in the last three, averaging 19 touches. And that's Hayden only on 48%, 46%, 53% of the snaps. We know on Sunday it was 23 carries for 80 yards and a score against the Chargers. But the biggest difference has been Michael on Winwu playing at right tackle. Everything is settled with Ted Karras and Isaiah Wynn and Shaq Mason and, and David Andrews. So now we get Damian Harris on a 17-game pace of over 1,100 rushing yards and 13 touchdowns. You love to see it. You truly do. And there are some massive splits. If you remove the game against the Buccaneers and you remove the game against the Saints, which we can't do, but I like to do it uh, because those they were trailing and you can't run on the Buccaneers. We know that. He's averaging 15.5 half PPR points on 15 expected half PPR points. I mean, that's, that's some serious production there. So I think that we know what's going to happen here. Reminder Stevenson is going to mix in a little bit when he's active. They're going to get Brandon Bolden on third downs. But the identity is through the ground game all of a sudden. They had a little bit of identity crisis in the the earlier part of the year because the offensive line was a disaster. But it looks like the offensive line, at least when it comes to the run blocking, looks a little bit better. So I think that we can project 15-plus carries and all the goal line work for Damian Harris moving forward. Yeah, I mean, if you 
remove the top two defenses that they will not face again this season, that are two of the top defenses in the NFL, at least against the run and the Saints and the Bucks, like you mentioned, then he has at least 60 rushing or 58 rushing yards. And then even in the games that he has 62 and 58 rushing yards, he's a score two as well. Like so many teams are trying to figure out who they are or have to shift or having to shift things because of injuries. The Patriots struggled through those first, I don't know, five weeks of the season. And now Hayden, they've, you know, found their identity. Some of it is what they wanted to be prior to the year, what we talked about of bully ball, power football. And they're also adding, you know, multiple elements of trick plays, motion, spreading things out, relying on Mac Jones a little bit more. I guess my only frustration is that we haven't had that like monster ceiling game for Damian Harris. I mean, sure. You know, week seven against the Jets. 14 carries, 106 yards, and, and two touchdowns. But that could have been even more. Like, J.J. Taylor had two touchdowns in that game, too. You know? So, maybe I'm just being, you know, a bit greedy, greedy here. <laughs> but, Hayden, for someone that was, quote-unquote, taken in the running back dead zone, rest of season and current season look for Damian Harris is really, really positive. Yeah, last four weeks, RB12 on RB14 usage. That's right in that RB2 rest of season rankings. I think that he certainly was a slight win. I Like... Like you were saying, though, I don't think he does have an elite ceiling, just the way that the offense is constructed and how they use him. Um, but RB2, when he came out as a price tag, as an RB3, you love to see it. And if anyone is as much of a crazy person as I am and, and goes and watches you know, player interviews and stuff, his teammates absolutely love him. And look what we have here. It's not a bear crawl to go and pick up a Joey Bosa loop inside. It's absolutely standing him up and stopping the momentum. There was a report that Damian Harris could not pass pro, and Hayden, we see it right now. He's evolving. He's evolving. Let's do it. Running back who was running back 28 during the draft. Yeah, one last note. When Nick Saban calls Bill Belichick for the pre-draft process and says, I like this Alabama player, you should probably draft him, take notice. Like, the track record on these guys. And Mac Jones, another one, too. This is getting ridiculous. So... I think Cordero Patterson should sue all of his previous offensive coordinators. Um, It's a player who now is in a perfect role to succeed for him. Now, Hayden, it's a bit of a lesser production this past weekend than maybe what we're accustomed to, but talk about being greedy. That's being greedy. Nine carries, 35 yards, five receptions, 37 yards, and a touchdown. Made a linebacker miss out in space. Cordero Patterson has 44% of his team's touchdowns this year, Hayden. Where are we at right now with CPAT as, again, what Calvin really posted, taking away some time from football? How is the usage expected from here on out with CPAT? He's averaging 14.6 expected half PPR points in the two games that Calvin Ridley has been out. And I think that he's playing some more running back snaps in those games and more wide receiver snaps because they need playmakers. When you remove Calvin Ridley, you need playmakers. So it's they'll use... Uh, some pony personnel if you if you're calling Corderell a running back, but they're putting putting him out wide wide receiver in the slot out wide at tight end. They'll put him in the backfield. They're getting him more carries and more targets in the games. Calvin Ridley is out, so I think that he is an upside RB two at the very least in some good matchups. He's more of an RB one um, as well. This is we don't know how long Calvin Ridley is going to be out for, but um, for out for however long that is, I think that. Cordero Patterson's basically like a league winner, the zero RB guy of all zero RB guys, even though I'm not sure how many zero RB years were 
pounding the table for Cordero Patterson and best ball. And especially an underdog where he's listed as a wide receiver, you know, so that, that doesn't necessarily help them yeah. either. Okay. <laughs> so on, uh, on to the Cincinnati Bengals here, Hayden, a team trying to make sense of not just at a big picture level when you're the number one seed, then you lose the jets, but also just some running back usage here because we saw in week seven against the Ravens, 12 carries, 59 yards and a touchdown for Joe Mixon. But then it felt like Samaje Pirine got all of the receiving work in that game. Now, and you know, a tight game, and actually a game that they had a, pot of, a lot of positive game script against the Jets. He did have 14 carries, 33 yards, and a score. But then comes out and gets five targets, four receptions, 58 yards. Again, confusing, somewhat unpredictable, because Hayden, we've had weeks where Joe Mixon is among the elite tier of opportunity and workload, and then other times where it seems like Nicks and knacks and small little injuries take him away from that opportunity. Yeah, it has been all over the place. And it's not the carries, it's just the routes. And like last week, he got up to like 59% routes. But in the previous couple of weeks, it was like at 40%. And then there was a game there was like 55%. So they haven't figured out if they want to use Joe Mixon in the receiving game or not. Of note, though, he had those two games where he was banged up and he was probably playing through an injury that he probably shouldn't have. But now he seems healthy. He's uh, now currently averaging 16.1 half EPR points in the healthy games. Those are RB1 numbers. We saw uh, last week that that neutral pass uh, uh, pass rate remained at 62%. That's a, a slightly above average. But if Joe Mixon's going to get some uh, targets because of that, I think that's okay. And I think that we know that the Bengals offense is going to be at least good, if not better than good. And I think that Joe Mixon certainly is – um, an RB one with upside. And I think that if he can just get more of the routes, which I'm certainly think he's good enough. I mean, you look at like what he's doing yards after the catch this year, it's unheard of. And he is plenty fast enough uh, to go win out in space. I think that he could be somebody that could climb up running back rankings later in the year. I, I'm The talent is there. Like you're saying again, it's, I think the Bengals are still going through this transitional moment. We'll talk about it on the preview show too. Like they've dropped a 21st and total DVOA, like the record and the stats and spreadsheets and, and it doesn't all mesh right now. Like none of it, none of it does. None of it does. And like neutral pass rate and how they change and Jamar Chase's efficiency. It's all weird. Again, they're really fun. They're a lot better than we're expecting, but there, I think there's a long way to go for the Bengals season to like totally get a grasp of exactly what they are going to be week to week other than Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon. All right, let's keep it rolling still with the running backs. Let's talk about Khalil Herbert, another fun rookie, a rookie that continues to look awesome from an eye test perspective. 23 carries for 72 yards. Also had two receptions this past weekend against the San Francisco 49ers. We're getting to the point, though. They have the Steelers this week, then a week 10 bye. It kind of sounds like while Dave Montgomery could technically, I think, come back from injury reserve this week, it's not going to happen. And it seems like the natural progression of that will be in the week 11 game. So, Hayden, we might be getting, getting to the point that this is the final, quote unquote, start or big workload for Khalil Herbert. The usage was great. Quietly, though, Damian Williams started last week and he got the first couple touches. Like, wasn't that kind of weird? And then he just got yeah. injured and he has a knee injury. And I've been searching for news for Damian Williams. I haven't found it. So we're going to know more on the uh, preview show if Damian Williams is going to be out there. Um, if not, though, Khalil Herbert, we know he's going to be an upside RB2, depending 
on the matchup. But I did want to note that Damian Williams did start last week, even though Khalil Herbert has been playing well. And we got to remember two weeks ago, Damian Williams was activated on the Saturday before a Sunday game. He didn't play that many snaps. Um, so that was kind of interesting why they went back to Damian Williams there. But um, I test the numbers, everything Khalil Herbert looks like a legit piece. And I think that they could wait out the David Montgomery return, uh, especially because Khalil Herbert looks better and better. And I think that when Montgomery is back, I wouldn't be that surprised if there was a little bit more tandem, um, especially when the Bears season is basically over. Yeah. And Khalil Herbert has earned that based on his performances. Another added wrinkle here with Matt Nagy at home against a decent opponent and then San Francisco 49ers. The substitute teacher allowed Justin Fields to finally stretch his legs. We saw 10 carries, 103 yards, and that ridiculous touchdown run on fourth and one. Some of it were design play calls. A lot more of it were outside of structure choices by Justin Herbert, either on the move or climbing the pocket. That's I say Justin Herbert, I meant Justin Fields. That is exactly what we had hoped for out of the preseason. And it's taken us a while to get to this point. But I, I don't know how that they can move away from that moving forward because really those two or three or four big-time plays and even also winning inside of the flow of the offense, albeit maybe a garbage one if we want to put some adjectives to it, it was great. And like I want to see that type of explosive element because we really think that that's going to be a major factor in how Justin Fields expands his game and wins in the NFL moving forward. So I guess – what I'm trying to say is that also takes away some of the rushing production, especially once we get to the Dave Montgomery, Cleo Herbert. But let's not look maybe too far in advance because at least we have another week of Herbert on our hands. The Bears are not going to pass the ball when Dave Montgomery's back. They got Cleo Herbert. <laughs> they get Justin Fields going. It's not. They're not going to pass it at all. Okay. Nick Chubb time. We know Kareem Hunt is still sidelined. Dearness Johnson had a really good game on Thursday Night Football. He also had a touchdown run this past week, put his foot in the dirt, got up the field. Nick Chubb, 16 carries for 61 yards against the aforementioned Pittsburgh Steelers. Where are we at on Nick Chubb? Because constantly when we draft him, we think in our head, oh, the absolute upside is when we has the backfield all to himself. He's still coming off a calf injury, which has slowed a whole bunch of players this season. He's listed for you at running back 21 fantasy usage, but running back 15 fantasy points in his last few games played. Yeah. And I think everyone's all panicking because he didn't get the full workload. But like you said, calf injuries are no joke. The Cowboys just sat Dak Prescott with a calf injury. So I think that you were naive if you were expecting a full Chubb coming off of the injury report. I thought that this was the perfect ease in game, especially against the Steelers. They were in negative game script. Baker Mayfield looked like crap. So that's why they didn't get Nick Chubb going like, all the way like we were hoping for. But I think that this next week is the week that they can unleash him. And I think that if the narratives out there for DFS or for whatever you're getting your money down on is that Nick Chubb's not going to have a bigger role without Kareem Hunt, please sell me that. I would love to buy Nick Chubb. I think that he's going to have a bigger workload. I don't think that he's only going to run a route on 13 of 37 drop, drop backs. I think him just getting out of that first game healthy was a win. And I don't think that Dearness Johnson is going to be that involved uh, compared to um, Kareem Hunt. So hide your kids, hide your wives. We're about to get full Chubb next week. Uh, 
Jack Conklin, who knows what the status is going to be. We've seen like Jedrick Wills come back as well. Some offensive line. We know this team lives and dies by their offensive line. They obviously put more three tight end sets out there. I mean, they lead the league with 13 personnel, 21%, I believe I put out there today. The next closest at 9%. Um, We've seen it in week three, week four, week five, 22, 21, 21 carries for Nick Chubb. If you don't think that like an injury played into this, then um, I think you're mistaken. So and game script and the quarterback yes. play and matchup, like everything. Yeah. So it's the Cincinnati Bengals, then the New England Patriots, the next two games for uh for Nick Chubb. This is a team, you know, on a bit of a losing streak, on a bit of a skid, and getting a foundation back in Nick Chubb as like the identity of your team from start to finish to me makes a lot of sense if he's back to 100%. Okay. Monday night football, we saw the Kansas City Chiefs. We've seen Darrell Williams get 13 carries for 49 yards, and maybe more importantly, Hayden, six receptions for 61 yards. But then we had this rando, Derek Gore, pop in, wearing the number 40, get 11 carries for 48 yards and a score. I got to tell you, I love Twitter most of the time. It's a wonderful place to share football opinions, especially if you have everyone muted who doesn't follow you. I put out a simple tweet. If you tell me you knew Derek Gore's name before tonight, I simply won't believe you. I had about a thousand tryhards in the in the mentions be like, well, you didn't watch preseason football. You're damn right I do. Who's expecting to hear about Derek Gore? Anyway, say I'm getting in the weeds here. How do we view this Chiefs backfield? One that is seemingly becoming more and more and more important since they're not able to hit explosive plays down the field. Yeah, so I think that the first thing was Derek Gore or Derek Gore. He only played 16 snaps. Daryl Williams actually played 64 percent of the snaps. And I think if you're watching the game, you're looking at the box, you're like, "Wow, this is a 50-50 split." Uh, not really. This was still mostly Daryl Williams. They did get Derek Gore involved between the tackles, but I think that it's still going to be Daryl Williams as the guy that you want. Maybe he's not going to have the 80 percent role that we'd like, but 64 percent still no joke. Going back to Ceh though, they have a Week 12 buy. He was injured on October 8th. That was kind of like a, a four to eight week, pretty vague timeline. We really haven't heard anything about CH coming back. So um, I wonder if they're going to hold him out through the bye. That would be like worst case scenario. Um, I think that he's eligible to come off of injur- injured reserve like whenever. But I, I wouldn't be that surprised if we get another couple weeks from Daryl Williams. I think that the Derek Gore stuff was cute. I liked it. I liked the Twitter mentions. Um, but I, I think it's still Daryl Williams for the most part here. And could Derek Gore get, I don't know, six, seven, eight touches? Sure. Yes, definitely. Um, would, can we expect 11 touches, 48 yards and a score out of him? Like I'd be very interested if it was the Daryl Williams, like if they were flipped, you know, but like what you're saying, 64% of the snaps for Daryl. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. The chiefs are just so desperate for a between the tackles rusher right now. Like the way that these defenses are playing against them if they can run the ball at all, like all yeah. the yards is available. So I wonder if they were just getting Derek Gore, like a, a crack at it. Um, but maybe they really he was outside yeah. and he was creating some space and he was doing all of that. Ted Wynn, buddy of mine who writes for the athletic mentioned, I mean, they made a you know random trade for Dan Brown. Who's like a third or fourth string tight end. And, you know, sent LDT who was a previously starting offensive guard for them. Ted theorized that maybe, you know, two or three tight end sets would help dictate coverages. And we've seen that across the league. Just mentioned Kevin Stefanski and, you know, putting three tight ends out there. 
And that would allow more single high safeties for Tyreek Hill on the outside, maybe Travis Kelsey, and split them out just based on, on personnel packages. Ted also mentioned that, well, just because you have three tight ends on the field doesn't mean defenses have to honor it as three tight ends on the field. So while that might be a goal of theirs to, again, dictate defenses so they can create more explosive plays down the field, it might not work as a planned, and it might just be like an end-of-roster trade and not something that really shows what they're trying to do the rest of the season. I think there's some merit to that because I, I saw Next Gen uh, Stats had a really cool tweet um, looking at Travis Kelsey's catch rate and production just in general when a linebacker's covering him versus a corner. And this year, teams are just saying, screw it. You Even though you are a tight end and you, this is 12 personnel, that they're just still lining up a corner on them. And he's like having to win as a receiver against press man cover. And you don't really see that with tight end. So I do wonder if they get into like normal 12 personnel looks that will help it out. And I do think that the bringing in this blocking tight end also could just help get them going in the ground game a little bit too. But I, I wasn't surprised that they brought in something because the current chiefs offense needs some kind of a uh, change. If it was a wide receiver, a new running back, a tight end or whatever. I just think that they needed something, something to change a little bit. Well, and the Mitchell Schwartz who, you know, played for them a really long time. And I think it's underrated how well Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher played for them for, for so long now, based on what we've seen for the chiefs in the last few weeks uh, suggest that this might not be their play. So I talk about teams figuring out who they are. The chiefs still need to adjust on the fly, not saying I'm not writing anything about Patrick Holmes's future. I do think that there is a bit of a common thread that you can tie from Lamar Jackson's 2020 season after his MVP year to maybe Patrick Mahomes in 2021, that it's not just peak level after we see it. And then a little bit of a dip is possible. Like these guys aren't perfect. And like 16 games, 17 games is a bit of a small sample. And, you know, seven, eight games, even smaller than that. It takes some time. You know, they're not all Tom Brady and Peyton Manning robots that can get you, especially when defenses were playing. Like defenses are smarter now too. So. There are some issues outside of the ball. There are some issues. issues. Okay. I know, as always, we're a bit slower than expected, but let's keep it rolling. Zach Moss. Uh, Weird story arc for Zach Moss. Someone who was taken as a secondary back among his own backfield during fantasy drafts. Then he immediately goes out there and, like, gets a bunch of high-value touches. Looks like, even after week one when he was inactive, looks like the player to play in that high-scoring offense But then, Hayden, what we've seen from Zach Moss, he has not scored a touchdown since week four. He did get 14 touches this past weekend against Miami for 58 yards. Where do we stand on Zach Moss while we're all searching for running back twos out there? I think he's one of the best throw-in pieces if you have a fantasy uh, trade deadline coming up. The reason is he's RB25 in usage. He's the RB43 in fantasy points over the last four weeks because he's been kind of inefficient. But the big news last week, when it came to routes run, Zach Moss had 28 of them. Devin Singletary only had 12. And Zach Moss also played in the two-minute drill. So if you're getting goal line Zach Moss, you're getting good offense Zach Moss, and all of a sudden you're going to be the number one in in passing downs, or at least when they're up big, they're at least getting out in the route a little bit more. I think that Zach Moss has the ability to turn into a running back too. And if, if people are just looking at the box scores, uh, I think that this, he's a perfect like little throw-in piece uh, for some last-minute trades in fantasy. Antonio Gibson, a uh, player I feel like we're talking about every single week on this show and the previous show because, again, the stress fracture in his tibia 
seems to be sitting up practices every single week. But Scott Turner says, oh, he's fine. We're just giving him rest. And we're going to run him like usual when we get to Sundays. Well, Hayden, I know that they have a bye this week. So this is maybe a conversation that might be fruitless until, I don't know, week 10. But he has season low in touches this past weekend with 11, just 54 scoreless yards. Where are we at in Terry Gibson? His snaps have gone from 47 to 23 to 30 to 23. They now have a two and six record. They're going into the bye. When they come out of the bye, they get the freaking bucks. And <laughs> it's not looking good. And Jarrett Patterson, uh, he had 12 opportunities. Zero of them came in garbage time. Zero. This was a decision by the Washington football team. So, um, yeah, Antonio Gibson's just, it's not going to, it's not going to be a good look for him. Meanwhile, you look at J.D. McKissick, 10 targets, 6 targets, 8 targets the last three weeks. You know, some carries in there, 8, 4, and 3 as well. Um, feels like it's cyclical here. These storylines, Hayden, we might get some, you know, 2020 J.D. McKissick vibes as we go along, especially if Washington continues to lose and they just shut him down because, again, he's just too – this will be the second year into his rookie contract, and they want to build around that offense. He's going to be a piece moving forward. Okay. Yeah. Real quick, J.D. McKissick, 12 half PPR points on 10.3 expected half PPR points in the last three games. So he's already trending up into the like low-end RB2 conversation, even with Antonio Gibson like out at least active. Let's talk about another running back room in flux, the Philadelphia Eagles. Miles Sanders, I think, out at least until week 11. We've seen Kenny Gainwell pop up here or there all season long in terms of role-playing and namely on angle routes as, you know, Red zone work this past weekend, though, Hayden, Boston Scott, Boston Scott goes out there and gets what? Two touchdowns. He's not your typical to me, five foot seven, 195 pound running back because they ran in between the tackles. Just three receptions all season, 19 carries, including 16 on first and second down. Kind of like a lesser version of Michael Carter in some ways. That's how they're using him. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly fair. And if you just look at the non-garbage time opportunities, Boston Scott had 10 of them. Jordan Howard had seven. Kenny Gainwell only had one. So all of the Kenny Gainwell stuff came in complete garbage time. And I looked at just to see how they were being used at the goal line because both Boston Scott and Jordan Howard had touchdowns here. Boston Scott got the first one at the one-yard line to score the first touchdown. Then Jordan Howard got one. And then Boston Scott had a three-yard touchdown to go up 24-0. to zero. After that, he was pulled from the game, and then Jordan Howard got his uh, his second touchdown. So the first two of the three goal line touchdowns went to Boston Scott, and they're basically not playing uh, Kenny Gainwell until games are blowout. So we shouldn't expect the Jordan Howard games. Like I think that last week was like certainly his ceiling. You're not going to have this positive game script, but for right now, it's it's Boston Scott as the number one. Yeah, I think it's so clear that when you go back and watch that Boston Scott is the most talented runner on that team. 12 carries, 60 yards, two scores. And exactly what stood out to you stood out to me that they removed him from the game up 24 to nothing. He didn't get a single carry in the fourth quarter when the game was in hand, which shows to me that they view him as a valuable piece. They didn't want to risk him getting injured and they would much rather have Jordan Howard and Kenny Gainwell getting those opportunities. So that shows you that, you know, Boston Scott is their lead ball carrier right now. Do you love he's, he's also the coolest running back on the team. He had the cool. best picture from training camp where he was pretending to be 
uh, a, a lineman's bodyguard and he looks really small. He's got these glasses on. It's, it's good stuff. A couple things. Absolutely hilarious to me that the Philadelphia Eagles put up 44 points and Jalen Hurts had by far his worst fantasy football day by 10 fantasy points. Just shows you the one game sample, but maybe the connection of those two. And I brought up this Boston Scott play if you're joining us on YouTube. Brian Westbrook. Do you know who that is, Hayden? I do I do know Brian Westbrook. Yes. Okay, good. Actually, a super nice guy. I used to do a show with him on, on NBC. Fancy football guy, too. Brian Westbrook is. Awesome guy. Okay. One more running back before we get going out of here to get to wide receivers. Eli Mitchell. We're here. 18 carries. 137 yards. One score. But positive game script in some instances. We know he is going to lead this team in carries. But since J. Michael Hasty has returned, zero receptions over the last two weeks. What percentage of you is concerned? I just think that his ceiling is like pretty limited, but he's averaging 13.3 half PPR points on 9.8 expected half PPR points this season in healthy games. And that's like peak efficiency that we are used to uh, in this Shanahan offense. He looks plenty of explosive enough to handle the Raheem Mostert role for, for the most part. And I don't think that Jeff Wilson's much of a threat. I don't think Jamichael Hasey's a threat. But when you're not catching passes, and if they get Trey Lance more involved uh, in the goal line, you can see how the ceiling just gets completely evaporated. But I think right now he's like on that RB2-3 border, and he can certainly have 100 yards and two touchdowns in a couple weeks down the stretch, especially because that that schedule is just so easy for the 49ers down the stretch here. Yeah, and we're going to talk about their pass catchers in a little bit, so I'll save my Jimmy Garoppolo spiel. But yeah, Elon Mitchell. Now, Jeff Wilson seems to be hovering around the fringes of this team too, so we'll see what that... But I, I wouldn't get too concerned about that because then you lose focus on Eli Mitchell being the player that everyone should have spent 100% of their fab budget on to me. I mean, that's one takeaway I have here. It's Maybe it's better to overreact to some things early on the season versus being skeptical of that we are overreacting. And a couple of names stand out there, Eli Mitchell and Cordero Patterson over there in the first two weeks of the year. But that's a conversation we can have another time. But just with waiver wire, if you are right, you're right for all of a sudden for 14 weeks of the year. If you're right in week eight, well, you're only right for eight weeks. So like the ceiling is just much higher if you can uh, go crazy early on. A couple questions before we move on to wide receivers. Shirley, what happened to DC dash CMC? I'm assuming DC means Dalvin Cook. Oh, we've actually seen no. What is I this? think that he means uh, Antonio Gibson, the Washington DC oh. CMC. And what happened is he broke his leg. Is what yeah, happened. Uh, he's also he's also Antonio Gibson. The uh, receiving production in college was from the slot and from out wide as a legit wide receiver. Uh, go talk to a running back coach and tell tell ask them how predictive that is to understanding pass protection out in the backfield. Two totally different games. So I think that some of those stats where we were seeing the the ceiling for Antonio Gibson. It was a little misconstructed, especially when you have somebody like J- J.D. McKissick who actually wins in that exact role. Okay, I'll just answer the CMC question since I was going to bring it up anyways. Go hey, for it. Um, Matt Rule is being super cagey. He's, someone asked if he's seems he's eligible to play this week and if he is going to play. Um, Matt Rule said, well, if not this week, then week 10. <laughs> so we're still there. But we'll get to that offense a little bit later with D.J. Moore and as we go along. Uh, in the preview show on Thursday as well. Okay, before we get to wide receivers, all of you, thank you for being here. Our favorite show of the week. Like and subscribe down below. We've got tons of basketball content. We've got tons of clips up. We have a whole Derrick Henry video as well. 
And again, we have the preview show on Thursdays and then two shows on Sundays, a lineup start set call show at 10 a.m. Eastern on Sunday mornings, and then instant reaction show at 7.30 Easterns after the one o'clock and four o'clock game. So the only way for you to get that is to like and subscribe to Underdog Fantasy as we're on the hunt and the trail to 10,000 subscribers. Okay, wide receiver time, Hayden. The offense that we absolutely love right now, the Los Angeles Rams. It's putting Cooper Cup on pace to shatter wide receiver records, but then everyone who drafted Robert Woods ahead of Cooper Cup has been left standing with their hands up in the air. But this weekend, nine targets, three receptions, 35 yards, but also got three carries for 22 yards and a score. I think he had two scores, actually, in this game. So is there a path to Robert Woods emerging as like an every week dependable player, or is it still Cooper Cup, Daryl Henderson, and everyone else? So the answer to that is yes, but let's talk about the team in general. Since week five, the Rams are now number one in neutral pass rate over the entire course of the season. Now the Rams are number one in neutral pace. So neutral pace, Sean McVay, pass rate, that's where you get the Rams absolutely shredding. Now you removed uh, Deshaun Jackson, who was waived today, um, and all of a sudden you have Van Jefferson in 11 personnel, and they, they're going back to Van Jefferson in 11 personnel. Like they were, they were using like two tight end sets for a little bit last year. That's like not happening, especially after Johnny Monk got hurt. So now you have Van Jefferson in a full time role. You're getting Robert Woods more targets, and Cooper Cup is going off. And I think all of it's sustainable because of the neutral pass rate, neutral um, offensive pace. And the reason why I want to talk about Robert Woods is he had last week season high 22.4 expected half PPR points. And the fantasy usage model, he's now all the all the way up to wide receiver five, Cooper Cup's wide receiver two. I think that there is a gap because Cooper Cup is just absolutely a baller right now. And Robert Woods is not going to catch Cooper Cup uh, moving forward. But I think that Robert Woods is a, a guy that I want to be trading for because if Cooper Cup ever missed time, he would go all the way up to the moon. And even when he, Cooper Cup is healthy, Robert Woods has a massive, massive ceiling, even though the box scores – uh, in the beginning of the season, didn't say say that would be the case. And it's not just these two as well. It's, it's Tyler Higby, who's like among the highest at his position in terms of end zone or red zone target rates, and he's barely scored any touchdowns this season. So we know that things are, and funneled might not even be the right word, because I think sometimes there's a negative connotation to that. It's just Cooper Cup is a superstar this year, and Daryl Henderson is thriving in this role too. But I think to exactly the point that you're saying, Maybe now as we head into this portion of the NFL calendar, it is smart because we have so much information on offenses that are incredible. The Bucks, the Rams, we can keep going on and on and on down that list. There's about five of them that, hey, try to get as many pieces here as possible. And hey, now I might retire and only pick out round 17 and 18 targets in best ball and just release that for my content throughout the year and put it like behind a paywall because it's Kadarius Tony, it's AJ Green, and it's Van Jefferson. Like Van Jefferson's another name in here that I think everyone should go out there and get, figure out a way, because if Woods or Cup go down, we've already alluded to him as wide receiver insurance, but even in best ball, he's out there running a whole bunch of routes. He's out there on the field a whole bunch, and he's trusted in a lot of these contested catch situations too. So to me, it just speaks to how much the connection of Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay elevate this passing offense, and that they still are running at high pace and throwing the football a damn bunch and it, there's no slowing down to this group at all. Yeah. I think that Sony Michelle needs to be rostered in all 12 person leagues. Same thing with Van Jefferson wide receiver, 54 usage 
over the last four weeks. That seems sustainable with Deshaun Jackson gone. If Robert Woods or Cooper Cup roll an ankle, boom, you got a fantasy starter. So can't beat that on, on at the end of your bench. Okay, let's talk about a player in Debo Samuel, who our buddy Michael Leone says his model cannot handle in terms of the yards after the catch, in terms of also the A dot Hayden, which I know you have pointed out too. Debo Samuel, it doesn't matter if it's a rookie quarterback in there, Jimmy Garoppolo playing like trash, bad weather games. What stands out to me is no matter the situation, Debo Samuel is thriving. Something else, despite, again, the roller coaster nature of the 49ers team this season, even from the coaching perspective, the running back perspective, Debo Samuel's hitting. And that should continue, at least in my eyes, maybe not to the degree, who's also off on pace with Cooper Cup to break some records this season, too. Yeah, he's incredible. It's not just the yards after the catch. Right now, he's caught 15 of his 18 targets traveling 15-plus yards downfield. That is by far the best rate among receivers that with that many targets. And the question becomes is how much of this is sustainable? Is Debo Samuel this good of a player? Probably not just because nobody is. If you look at just the chart, everyone regresses back to that mean. And the other part is... Brandon Ayuk came out and ran 29 of 30 routes. Uh, George Kittle might be back soon. So this is, we're finally going to get the 49ers offense with all the pieces back. So I don't want to call him a sell high or just because he's been so good, but like the efficiency, like where he's winning right now is not sustainable, even if he is a really good player. And I'm kind of worried that, if Trey Lance gets in there or if George Kittle comes back or if Brandon Ayuk starts emerging, then like what happens? But like the fantasy usage model loves him still because he's like the wide receiver six in usage, but like some of the underlying metrics, like somebody like Mike Leone freaks out about, I kind of buying just like some of this doesn't feel that sustainable. And I hate yeah. saying that because he's freaking Debo Samuel. And there is a difference between Cooper cup and his usage versus Debo Samuel and his in terms of like all the pieces are still there with the Rams yet. Boom. Cup is, is thriving. I am going to push back just a little bit, maybe just the devil's advocate and just a game we're going to play here. And maybe our preconceived notions about George Kittle and about Brandon Ayuk and like the roles they could potentially play in this offense were just wrong. And that Debo is the only piece in the passing game that legitimately matters. And maybe that's not going to change even when, because like, they don't like Brandon Ayuk right now. It's pretty clear. Like, I know he's he's playing more than he was, and he was absolutely in the doghouse. And even after the bye, it was, you know, not putting in full effort to learn and all that kind of stuff. But even going back to the preseason, like, Debo is, is the centerpiece of everything. I think the biggest change could potentially be with Trey Lance. Like, if Trey comes in and they have to shift everything like they did in that one single game, I think that might be the biggest, the biggest change. But to me, hey, that might drop him from you know wide receiver two overall to wide receiver ten overall. You know, nothing that can like pull the the floor out from underneath this type of player to me because he's someone who was winning at every level, who was always one of the best yards after the catch, and now is getting this game of being targeted down the field too. To me, that's all a positive. Yeah, but the perfect example is like the DeAndre Hopkins. We know DeAndre Hopkins is a baller, but when you have this much target competition, all of a sudden, like things just change. And that's like the difference between 2020 nuke and then 2021 nuke. And I am a little bit concerned that Shanahan said that Brandon Ayuk had his best game 
after watching the tape and he had his full workload and then George Kittle is coming back. So I don't know. I, I think, I think he's probably going to be more of like a wide receiver two instead of like a wide receiver one moving forward. Um, I just don't think that like the 35% target share that he's had the last four weeks is that sustainable. There's only a couple of players in the entire league that can do that. And Debo Samuel, I think has the talent to do that, but like George Kittle, I mean, I don't want to just like pretend that like this isn't George Kittle coming back. This is freaking George Kittle. Yeah, but also a player who's never thrived in the red zone too. And maybe that's where, you know, Debo would get a little more use. I don't know. My goal, hopefully, is for Debo to change that opinion to not be among the considered names in Hayden Winks' brain that like should have that type of usage, you know? Because I think he should. I want to bring up this one play before we move on from him. Because this situation, th- this this play might have like changed the course of the Bears' season. Um, they're down sixteen to nine on a four-game losing streak with seven thirty left in the third quarter. This is third and twenty, and Debo Samuel and of course the blocking of the San Francisco 49ers turns a simple third and twenty screen, which we see across the NFL, into an eighty-three yard gain. First of all, really poorly played by. The Bears defense, you see immediately five blockers out front compared to two defensive pieces near the line of scrimmage. And Debo, oh, come on, internet. Come on, internet. Um, Debo does a really good job of reading his blocks, but what the blockers do so well and combined with his patience, all he has to do is outrun 97, who's like a back-tracing defensive lineman, and then outrun everyone else. But Hayden, while this might seem fluky and, and not something that is completely sustainable, I feel like we have something like this from him every single week or like every other week. And that's, to me, putting him in like a talent sphere or plane of why, and I know I keep repeating this line, but every team searches for a Debo Samuel because he's just different. He's different than almost any other pass catcher in the NFL. Would you rather have Justin Jefferson or Debo Samuel rest of the season? I would go think about it. Like I I would, I would do that. I would do that trade. So like, that's where I'm talking is is like that. Let let me think about it. And then I'll get back to you during the Thursday preview show. Okay. All right. There we go. DJ Moore. DJ Moore looked like he took his game to another level this season, Hayden, but where Sam Darnold and the passing game took a nosedive. So has the ceiling of DJ Moore, just a little bit. Like if we just rewind a couple weeks, 13 targets, 10 targets, 73 yards, 73 yards this past weekend, just eight targets, four receptions and 59 yards. Those other two games were in losses. This was a win. It seems to be a formula that the Panthers want to repeat of taking the ball out of Sam Darnold's hands unless they have to. And that again, does cap a great talent to me in DJ Moore. Yeah, Matt Rule said that he wants to run the ball. And over the last four weeks, they've ran the ball. They're 30th in neutral pass rate all of a sudden. So um, that does take away some of the appeal for for DJ Moore. But I don't want to panic too much just because he's still the wide receiver nine and expected half PPR points over the last four weeks. And he just has a monster air yards and, and target share, especially with Robbie Anderson hurt, Terrace Marshall been hurt. A little bit too so I, I don't want to go too crazy with the dj Moore hate but i did want to bring him up just because the panthers have given up on trying to pass the ball and i think rightfully so, so darnold right now at a 38 qualifying quarterbacks he's 35th in completion percentage over expected now that doesn't account for drops 
but he's been pretty inaccurate and um, I don't see that uh, turning around yet either. If you're watching on YouTube, I don't agree with the, the statement in this tweet at all. I just wanted to bring it up because it was the only video out there of DJ Moore scoring a touchdown, but it getting robbed of it. He gets two feet down and gets the ball trickles out once he hits the ground. That's six. That's six. Uh, overall concerning, though, is just the team vision at the moment. Like It's almost the Panthers are facing their opponents and their quarterback at the same time, which is not a winnable formula in the NFL, just trying to limit him over and over and over again. I think what it was 26 or 23 passes versus 40 ish carries this last time out. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would view DJ as still a wide receiver three, even wide receiver two, but it's just not quite, quite what we had in the top 12 wide receiver status, which it looked like what we were trending towards at the top of the season. So yeah, I think he's a wide receiver too. Jalen Waddle. Um, talk about a wide receiver that might be connected to his offense in terms of production. We've seen, you know, 21 targets against the Jags and the Falcons result in a ton of production. The usage did not change this past weekend, Hayden. Again, 12 targets against the Buffalo Bills. It was just the Bills defense might be the one we should care about most in the NFL. They're great. They're not going to be beaten by a RPO basic novice offense and so that resulted in four catches for 29 yards but then my eyes perk up here Hayden because we get that in our heels with the Houston Texans moving forward so I think this might be time to get in on Jalen Waddle and his production coming up yeah and I wanted to bring up Will Fuller is still not supposed to practice this week either so this has been like the longest finger injury ever but uh, right now, Jalen Waddle is the wide receiver 12 in fantasy usage, and he has some splits with Devontae Parker, but I think some of those early season splits, they were trying to run the ball, and they've since abandoned trying to run the ball. So I think that he's going to be a inconsistent wide receiver to wide receiver three, depending on the matchups, at least until Will Fuller gets back. I think that when Fuller gets back, that's a lot of dudes out there that deserve some targets, but I think until then, um, he, sh- he should be in, in fantasy lineups. Okay, so we talked a lot earlier about how offenses might shift based on personnel changes. Let's do that with the with the Dallas Cowboys because we saw them in week one throw the football a ton in negative game script, very reminiscent to the first four games of 2020. And Michael Gallup had a pretty big day. Michael Gallup has since missed extended periods of time, but he might be coming back soon. But Hayden, in the meantime, and I actually want to ask this question to start this conversation. Could they potentially be better without Michael Gallup? Since then, just 56% of the time in 11 personnel, 32% of the time in 12 personnel. Only two teams have more. And we see how multiple, how different that offense can be with tight end screens and the running game and so on and so forth because they're not stuck with three wide receivers on the field. Is that a dumb question? Because we know Michael Gallup is an awesome talent. Not a dumb question. Uh, I'll give you a dumb answer, though. I, I think that they're better with Michael Gallup. I do not think that they're going to have to use 11 personnel at the same rates they did last year. If you're looking at one-score games last year with Dak Prescott, they only used 12 personnel on 11% of their plays. This year in one-score one games, that's up to 29%. So I don't think that Michael Gallup's going to be a, a fantasy starter when he gets out there. He needs to be rostered because if something ever happened to – Amari or C.D. Lamb, then uh, he would be a, a must play. But I think that the Cowboys have shown 
that this 12 personnel stuff is working. And I don't think just because he gets back that they're going to be an 11 personnel team. This team's very balanced. They can win in multiple ways. So they're better with Michael Gallup. I don't think that they're going to have to force 11 personnel on the team either. So uh, I wouldn't jam in Michael Gallup right away. I, I would expect his usage to be pretty minimal throughout the rest of the year. And when Gallup was a part of the game plan in week one, we saw C.D. Lamb have 23 routes or 23 snaps in the slot. Since then, his highest was 20 snaps in the slot in week six, but that was a total of 78 snaps in that game entirely. We've seen other games with just two and six and three. Like He's an outside receiver here, so that might change C.D. Lamb's role if Michael Gallup comes yeah. back as well. I mean, the team is just so different than it was last year, and even in, in week one because the defense and, again, how how – balance and multiple they are and uh i, I don't want that to change because i really like the cowboys right now. cowboys are legit really legit now when you see cedric wilson you know run the seam split the safeties score like a long touchdown this past week you're like oh michael Gallup can do that too but i think there's a, a difference between how much michael Gallup would want to play and how much cedric wilson is going to play too okay talk about brown's running back and nick chubb let's talk about their wide receivers as well first hayden we're recording this on trade deadline day so i should bring up a deal that apparently almost happened according to kimberly a martin that odell potentially had conversations the teams with the new orleans saints but how much odell is owed the rest of the season it was next we've seen it not work out so far with odell some by his doing some by the quarterbacks doing some of it by the offensive situation where are we at with Jarvis Landry also coming back and just Brown's receivers as a whole? Well, Odell doesn't want to be there. He had LeBron James tweeting about it. Like that's how bad it is that his dad was mad about it. He's been mad about it. Other players, uh, agents, media, everybody's freaking out that they wanted Odell gone because Baker Mayfield can't get in the ball. And I don't know, man. I just don't think it's going to happen. He's had 7.4 in 0.4 expected half PPR points in the two games with Jarvis Landry and then Jarvis Landry has been pretty bad himself too. So like, I don't know, both of these receivers don't look that good to me, especially with Baker Mayfield's accuracy all over the place. But I think that this is, you don't want to be starting these guys. So that's just like, it's as simple as that. I'm going to push back on Jarvis. I think Jarvis is the one to play rest of season over Odell. I mean, nine targets a game, 13% target share, 10 and a half a dot, since returning from injury, I think he had just had some, you know, mischaracterized bad plays that aren't typical of him this past weekend. Again, I, I do want to throw out that, like, it's just so clear and that Odell doesn't want to be there. And maybe it's like an association with Baker Mayfield, too. But it also kind of looks like a hospital ball here from Baker Mayfield over the middle of the field. And that's uh, certainly not something that Odell wants to put himself into. I mean, come on. There was... I forget who said it, but one of those smart film grinders said that Baker's best attribute are like on slants where he can run away from defenders after the catch. And Baker Mayfield, that's the worst ball he throws. He doesn't like to throw over the middle, kind of like your uh, Russell Wilson's and Kyler Murray, maybe because it's a little bit shorter and he can't see over the middle. And he likes to see the ball on the outside. And he has a beautiful arm out that way. But where Odell wins and Baker wins, it's not it's not that pretty. It sucks because, again, in those first two games that he came back from injury, Odell, I thought he looked great just from eye tests. And maybe that's just me with my bias and the eye in the sky does lie. But he was creating separation in the slot. Oh, he was winning. Separation on the, he was winning. And it worked out in that first game he came back. And then the second one, you remember, was the one that Baker played awfully and just yeah. you know, was throwing at his feet a couple yards away. And so it just hasn't aligned. 
I don't know. I mean, and again, the Brown season isn't nearly as good as it was at the start of the year. So again, we have at least eight or nine weeks of, of the Odell Beckham Baker Mayfield experience. It's just in a dark place right now. Yeah. They're all hurt too. Baker Mayfield, Odell, Chubb, Jarvis, they're all playing through injuries. Yeah. Yep. All of them. Cardinals passing game. So, Hayden, we talked about wide receivers in the first two rounds. That's exactly where DeAndre Hopkins was going last year at 160 targets this past week. Catches an awesome pass along the sideline. But because of the pieces that they've added, we're certainly not getting the same amount of volume in DeAndre Hopkins' way, despite Kyler Murray playing at an incredible level. Where are we at with Nuke, also with Christian Kirk, and Kyler Murray right now? I wanted to bring him up because Jay Glazer said that this ankle injury is a one to three week injury. And I haven't really seen anybody talk about this. And it's to the point where Vegas, you can't even bet on this game. They've pulled the line uh, according to Pinnacle and some other books too. So uh, I wouldn't say that Kyler Murray is definitely going to play this week. And I would say the exact same thing about DeAndre Hopkins, who had a setback in a game. He probably shouldn't have been playing uh, in the first place. So we're going to have to see. Um, about the Cardinals game, but I, I would be preparing if you have waivers and you have DeAndre or Kyler, I would uh, be paying attention to this bef- like before you submit your waiver claims. Interesting. And Kyler was also hurt. You might have just said that while I was trying to find this tweet. Um, I'll try to find the the DeAndre Hopkins news before Thursday's yeah. show as well. The the medial ankle sprain, by the way, is on the uh, inside inside of the foot, and that's like the the bad one uh, according to the Twitter doctors. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. AJ Green, you talk, spoke about Debo Samuel's 20 plus yard targets, Hayden. AJ Green might be the second most impressive player on that list. Just saying. Yeah, he was. Um, we need him to turn around in the end zone. And we'll, we'll get there. We can't have everything. Yeah, I know. You know, baby steps. 17 right at, right at 18. It's a uh, usable weeks is what we have with AJ Green. I'm sure we'll talk about him tomorrow again on the best ball report card show that's myself and Eric Bime for. So, and Hayden, obviously. Be sure to come back for that. Okay. Cardinals offense check. Let's talk about the Bills offense because that's another one with Stefan Diggs not nearly getting the same opportunity that he has in previous years. Five receptions, 40 yards, and one touchdown on seven targets. Just two games a season, Hayden, over 70 yards. He has had touchdowns in back-to-back weeks, though. But is the value really there? from what we were expecting with Stefan Diggs, especially in offense that still is, you know, top five in the NFL. I looked at red zone looks, deep looks. Yeah, what's just the difference? Man coverage. I can't find anything of why Steph Diggs isn't Steph Diggs this year, but the sample's big enough where I think that we need to start making some adjustments. Now, Steph Diggs can still have some crazy numbers, but over like the last four weeks, wide receiver 30 usage, wide receiver 23 and half PPR points. The only thing that I can find in all the data um, – is that his catchable ball rate per sports info solutions in 2020, that was at 83%, which is absurd for somebody that was getting that many targets. And then this year it's gone from 83% down to 72%. So that's like a 10% difference when it comes to just uh, how how many uh, targets are actually catchable for him. So um, I can't explain it. I think this is just regression basically is just Josh Allen isn't quite as good as he was last year. And I would guess that there's like a little bit of an injury or Steph Diggs just isn't making a couple plays that he was last year. And that's just the, the small little difference here. So I, I can't explain it really. 
Right. But then the relationship and the talent that they have together, you could see a stretch of six games where he absolutely goes nuclear. Like that's absolutely in the realm of possibility here. I also think, you know, certain coverages throughout the league is, is changing this for teams just being more explosive down the field too. And then what we just saw against the Miami Dolphins while it was a bit of a slow start, that man coverage gives him, you know, one of his better games that we've seen. And so, so many teams obviously playing zones or too deep or quarters or all that kind of stuff in terms of limiting big plays that can hurt. Yeah. I also think that probably just Emmanuel Sanders being the number two or number three instead of Gabe Davis last year is probably a minor difference, but like even like the targets per game and all that stuff, it's about the same. Like the deep, deep targets is about the same. It's just, just production. And it's, it's the weirdest thing. Yeah, like if A.J. Green and DeAndre Hopkins have somewhat similar production on both sides of the ball, it's like that with the outside receivers for the Bills, too. And, you know, Stephon Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders, because prior this week, Manny actually had a half point better in fantasy points per game and half point PPR. Um, That's wild. And into that one, which is crazy. Because, I mean, the differences in their draft status was, was nuts. Um, Quickly on Cole Beasley, because there were a couple weeks in there, Hayden, especially when they used Dawson Knox to, like, dictate – different defensive linemen and defensive personnel. We saw that against the Chiefs to keep linebackers out there on the field, not doing much. But then, as we saw this past week, 10 catches for 110 yards. To me, it's so tough, like we just alluded to, to predict which one is going to be awesome that I feel like the need to start all of them. Um, Cole Beasley is still a major, major piece in this team, especially when Dawson Knox is sidelined. Yeah, Cole Beasley deleted his Twitter after that Chiefs game. And then since that, he's averaging 17.2 expected or uh, half PPR points. He's gone off the last two games. Uh, Maybe it's because he deleted his Twitter. Maybe it's because Dawson Knox got hurt. Maybe it's just because he's playing better. Uh, Who knows? But Cole Beasley, I would not be surprised if he's a wide receiver three in all formats moving forward. He's, He's playing all the routes right now. This is some Malcolm Gladwell correlation or causation type stuff right here. Causation. We all need to get off Twitter. That's what it's telling us. All right. I'll log off right now. Speaking about talented wide receivers, let's bring up Jamal Agnew. Just the haters furious because what do we have now? Jamal Agnew being an integral part of the Jacksonville Jaguars team. He ran more routes, played more snaps, then a few players, including LaVisca Chenault, three times the targets, three times the passes, three times the yardage. We mentioned it last week and even before then, how this team is lining up with their wide receivers. It's, you know, Visca at X, Marvin Jones in the same role that he's carried all throughout the year and why he's going to end up as, you know, the top receiver on this team. And Jamal Agnew playing in the slot. Again, 12 targets, six receptions, 38 yards and a score with 60% of his targets this past weekend and a complete blowout and snooze fest from the Jaguars off a of bye week. I, I know that like it can be tough to wrap your brain around Jamal Agnew, at least prior to this past week being a legit thing. But Hayden, as we move forward, Jamal Agnew is viable on fantasy rosters. Like he's legit in lineups. <laughs> I wouldn't say Swag News in lineups, but he's close. He does have wide receiver 21 targets over the last four weeks. The problem is that's a wide receiver 61 air yards. It's all the underneath stuff. He's basically who we wanted LaVisca Chenault to be. Um, and I had a note on Visca. He only ran around on 60% of them last of dropbacks last week. So, yeah, Swag New is definitely in 
he's involved. He like he's certainly involved. I don't know what this means for Visca. I just don't think he's going to make it. Um, the Jaguars wide receiver we want is for sure Marvin Jones. Marvin he still Jones. has yeah thirty three percent air yard share. Wide receiver eighteen air yard share in the last four weeks. Uh, he could have the the big games. Swag new needs like. 12 underneath targets in garbage time. We got it last week. We, we might get a couple more of those, but um, yeah. And maybe I'm overcorrecting because I thought other people were undercorrecting. You know what I mean? Where prior to last week, I think you and I did a really good job of predicting that Jamal Agnew had a legit role here. Now I think everyone is on board with him having a legit role. And what I believe you and I are both highlighting is that this isn't just a random player that's popping off for production, like where he's playing, how often he's playing, how much they crave speed that Urban Meyer even came out today and said that it's their number one need moving forward. The only player that brings that to the table is, is Jamal Agnew. So his role in this offense is legit and it's here to stay. And I think it's going unchanged as we, as we go along. Yep. The pride of Point Loma. Great place. Corey Davis, uh, he's written down here. I think it's hot or cold if, you know, if even if he steps up and plays this week. He sat out this past weekend. Um, I would love to see him in a Mike White offense, one that actually gets him the football on time. Is that typically what you wanted to say? Yeah, I just wanted to say that Mike White is number one in success rate among quarterbacks with 50 pass attempts this year. he is. Number one, baby. Let's go. The white guy. We need Corey Davis with the white guy. They play on Thursday night. Corey Davis didn't practice. He said that he just like kind of stepped on his like had a weird step in practice, and that's why his hip injury has been flaring up. Um, but I hope we at least get like one or two games of overlap uh between Corey Davis and Mike White. Uh last Jets note is I thought they were gonna trade Jameson Crowder. I didn't not I don't understand why some team didn't trade for Jameson Crowder. And th- for the Jets purposes, could they just get Jameson Crowder off the field and put Elijah Moore in the slot? We're gonna have the same conversation about Elijah Moore in LaVisca Chenault where their slot receivers being forced on the outside where their skill set is just, they just have no experience out there. So super frustrating for Elijah Moore. Um, I think that Corey Davis, we need at least one Mike white, Corey Davis game. Cause that's, we're going straight to the pick em lobby for that one. <laughs> we 100% are. Okay. We had another big time player return from injury. That is Jerry Judy. Uh, Jerry Judy, in his return to the lineup, Hayden Wink, saw a big-time role. 72% of the snaps, 77% of the routes, but just four targets, which was a 15.4 target share. Anything stand out to you? Have you had the time to review this game yet? I haven't watched it. Uh, I watched it live, but I didn't watch, like rewatch it. Uh, Jerry Judy did not play many snaps in two wide receiver sets. They left that to Tim Patrick. I'm sure that will eventually flip, but he's probably going to be a slot receiver for the rest of the way, just looking at Cortland Sutton where uh, Tim Patrick wins. He looked, for the most part, pretty healthy, but there's going to be a little bit of bounce back. The bigger concern here is when you just have Albert O, Tim Patrick, Cortland Sutton, the both of the running backs, Noah Fan when he comes off the COVID list. All of a sudden, that's a lot of mouths to feed for a team that is, I believe, uh, dead last in neutral pace. Yeah, I have that right. And 20th in fantasy usage to their wide receivers in general. Who's going to win out? Like, is the the answer easily could be nobody. You know, like this could be an offense where everybody averages nine fantasy points, and it doesn't matter. Um, I'd like to bet on the the talent of Jerry Judy, but I don't know, man. That's a lot of mouths to feed for an offense that's not going anywhere. 
Before we move on from wide receivers, let's talk about the awful news that came out on Tuesday morning about Henry Ruggs being involved in a deadly crash. I think it was 4 a.m. local time on, again, Tuesday morning. He's been charged with felony DUI. I am by no means an expert in you know, the court system, but DUI resulting in death is a class B felony as written by Mike Florio. Punishment includes two to 20 years in prison. I think as so much more information is coming out about this in the near future. Anything you want to say, Hey, Yeah, just tragic news. Just terrible for the victims here. Um, when it comes to just the football, they can put, and they will probably put Henry Ruggs on the commissioner's ex- exempt list. He's facing prison time. And Nevada doesn't mess around with this stuff because they have Las Vegas and they have this all the time. So uh, moral of the story, call an Uber. Like it's not that hard um, for any of us um, in 2021. But yeah, just tragic news for for everybody. Uh, we'll see if the Raiders do anything adding to their wide receiver group. That's like not really the story here. Um, yeah, I don't. It's been a chaos for the Raiders here. But I would expect Henry Ruggs uh, to certainly not play this year. I he could not play and uh, in the NFL ever again. It's that's that serious. Yeah. Again, maybe it's something we talk about more on Thursday or more in two weeks when, you know, more information comes out about this, but uh, just don't drink and drive. Call an Uber. It's easy. Call an Uber or Lyft, whatever. There's a lot of things out there to do. It's okay. Let's talk about tight ends. No offense. You had written down on the COVID list. Let's talk about Dan Arnold, because just like Jamal Agnew is seeing an increased workload in the Jaguars offense, so is Dan Arnold. And a lot of it is like within motion. It's kind of designed plays with, you know, action moving this way with either Carlos Hyde or, or James Robinson. And then Dan Arnold working across the formation in the other way. Um, to me, I sit back and I realize that there's a reason the team wanted to give up on, you know, a top 10 draft pick and CJ Henderson to, in some ways, bring in Dana on this offense. And while he's not fast when considering him among other wide receivers, he might be athletic in comparison to other tight ends. And that can maybe fill the craving that they have for speed and athleticism. I think he's kind of a perfect fit. And he's tight end five in targets and tight end six in routes since the trade went down. And we know that we're going to get some serious garbage time. And he has the athleticism. Like there was a couple plays last year. I almost in the summer, I got so bored. I almost made a highlight tape of Dan Arnold because he had so many big plays. Uh, but we can see it. I, I hope I have a league where I have TJ Hawkinson on a buy, and Dan Arnold's the guy I'm hoping I win off of waivers. So hopefully my league isn't listening to this podcast. But he's he's the guy this week that I'm attaching my name to. Dan Arnold in garbage time for week week nine. And we're going to talk about a, a, one more at least, but. With, I believe, Logan Thomas potentially coming off injured reserve, people might be losing out on Ricky Seals-Jones as a starter in fantasy football, especially with a bye week this week. Dan Arnold, there are worse options to fill in there because opportunity is going to be there no matter what. We know that team sucks. They're going to be trailing. But even if they're winning, Dan Arnold is a is an integral part, I think, in that passing game. They're 14 and a half home dogs to the Bills this week. We're getting, we're getting 10 targets from Dan Arnold. Yeah, but I, again – the Bills might even be a team where like garbage time and being down on the scoreboard might not matter. Like the Bills are that good defensively to me that like I'm just terrified of anyone playing them. I'm willing to risk it. Dan Arnold, the streamer of the okay. week. All right. Let's talk about Pat Fryermuth. Hayden, 
I'm going to press the button and you say it. Ready? One, two, three. Post by Rookie Bump. He's our king. He's our king for it. Uh, I love how he's featured in this offense. Like Eric Ebron snaps have gone down and Pat Frymouth came down with Steelers forced to be aggressive because their kicker was forced out of the game. But fourth and one contested catch. He is stacking good performances when given opportunities, and that leads to full-time role as the season goes along. Yeah, he's up to tight end 13 fantasy usage, and he had 12.8 expected half PPR points last game. Uh, Obviously, you can only play him if Eric Ebron is out. I don't know what Ebron's status is, but I think that Patrick Fryermuth was, because we had Kyle Pitts in the pre-draft process, we kind of just were like, that's enough for the tight end. And we didn't like, I don't think gave enough credit to Pat Fryermuth, the prospect. Like, I thought this guy was, ha- had some decent skills. And didn't we have Ben Fennel who said that he kind of moves yep. like Travis Kelsey? I remember that interview. You can find that somewhere on YouTube. But I think pra- Pat Fryermuth is going to be somewhat of a player, especially if the, the Steelers go to 12 personnel. Yeah, and the Steelers are all about primary reads. Sometimes it's Denaji, sometimes it's Deontay, sometimes it's lobbing up to, to Chase Claypool or even manufacture touches. But sometimes right now it's to Pat Fryermuth too. And, and that's all that's all you can ask for. Um, yeah, we did. Yeah. He he compared Fryermuth's ability to sit in zone coverage and like the right to get open. It's the same way that Travis Kelsey does. And we've seen that so far. Like a yeah. feeling for that zone coverage is is notable among young tight ends. That's massive for tight ends. Like I think it's kind of overrated how often like you get man-to-man coverage against a tight end out in, like, in the slot. It just doesn't happen that much. Most of the production is just finding that soft spot, and he he certainly has that feel. Dallas Goddard now has the full-time role with the Philadelphia Eagles this past weekend against the Detroit Lions. Again, they won 44-6. to six. Seven targets, six receptions, and 72 yards. You know me, Hayden. I've always loved Dallas Goddard as a talent or what here in year four for Dallas Goddard. And uh, I'm excited to see now and moving forward him as, you know, a focal point of this passing attack. Yeah. 25% target share uh, since Ertz has left. And we didn't get to see that many pass attempts because of the game script, but Dallas Goddard could easily be a top six, seven, eight fantasy tight end moving forward. He also played in the first game, like 50% of his snaps were in the slot last week. That wasn't the case because they were winning uh, by so many points, but in negative game scripts, we're going to see Dallas Goddard out, out in space more than we've basically have ever seen him play. And that's where all the fantasy upside comes in. So Dallas Goddard, somebody that if you can trade for him, go ahead. Can we briefly, and it's not written down, but talk about Cal Pitts, who what had like two catches for almost no yards and why that happened. I, I think it was almost completely unpredictable, especially when we saw like him absolutely go nuclear the the previous game. And it's mainly because the player that he was matched up against often that gave him the most trouble outside the numbers, inside the middle of the field, was Stephon Gilmore, a player who we had yet to see play a single snap for the Carolina Panthers and what the possible utilization could have been. And I'm sure Stephon Gilmore had history of matching up against tight ends during his time with Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. So I think that that was just an unpredictable matchup for Kyle Pitts, who even said post-game, like, hey, it was a welcome to the NFL moment for a rookie, and it's something he's going to learn from moving forward. Yeah, I think we're going to see probably next-gen stats in a couple of weeks talk about how often Kyle Pitts is being defended by a corner instead of a linebacker. I think that's 
he's going to have to be able to win that way. Cause he's the, the Falcons have said enough with the inline stuff. I think the last uh, two weeks he's been on inline at 19% of plays that's down from even the beginning of the season. So he's basically a wide receiver. And I think that he has the body control of a wide receiver. This is like freaky stuff that he's doing out there, but yeah, he's going to have to beat man corners. Now I think that's what the blueprint is going to be against the Falcons moving forward. We'll be back tomorrow for a best ball report card show as we are officially halfway through the best ball season. Eric Bynfor joins us. Ryan Hodge joins us. We'll go through the top five scoring teams in best ball mania Two. talk about the players. They're in the top, or I should say most first place teams. And then among the last place teams as well, and a whole bunch of different builds and roster constructions and how those are faring as we go on some shocking, shocking results that you want to be here for. And as always, we'll be back for our game-by-game preview show on Thursday. Scampers, Connor, One Rock. We even had some plenty of new people here today as well that said that they just found us in the last couple of days. Talking about you, Chris Ostro. Appreciate all of you. Like and subscribe. Hopefully you're enjoying these. I am. I won't speak for Hayden, but I am. We'll be back on Thursday. We'll see you then. For Hayden Winks, I am Josh Norris. Up the villa. Talk to y'all soon. See you.